Let's record. Welcome back to us too. I wasn't here last week. And um, we're looking forward to continuing. It's been fun team teaching this because we've sort of been able to alternate and uh, uh, sort of mix it up a bit. We took some cues from what Diana and Ying shared about last week just to kind of think about this week a little bit. But we're, we're thinking that we'd like to make it kind of like last week, a little bit more focused on practice than on uh, formal study of the texts. So we'll be doing quite a bit of sitting. I'm going to turn this down just slightly. Maybe we could start also with um, just everybody saying their names while David's adjusting the volume. Yeah, good. Why don't we start here with Barbara? Yeah. I'm Morgan. Great. And we have David and Kim. Yeah. And I think, think I thought I knew everybody's name, so I f- forgot that important preliminary. So are there any questions um, regarding last week's practice or um, reading up to this point? Okay. Do you have yeah. questions on the tetrads that haven't been covered yet, which is the third and fourth, or are they the first and second and before that? Because that's where we are, sort of. Mm-hmm. It, uh, last week, I think the idea, the assignment, the reading, the homework was to kind of, and the practice was to kind of spend some time with the first couple tetrads and see how they fall into practice. And, and then to read the other two. Okay. Okay. Why don't you just go just, ahead and ask? Yeah, that's just what we want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, go for it. Oh, yeah, let's, if you would, use the mic for the recording. Um, So in paragraph 34, it states, one who is rapturous, in one who is rapturous, the body and mind become tranquil. On that occasion, the tranquility factors are aroused in him. But I see rapture as being a high energy state of happiness. It kind of gets you worked up. I don't see that as leading to tranquility, which seems to me to be um, uh, a deep, a much, much deeper almost opposite kind of happiness. Mm. So have you thought about that? Or, or maybe my understanding of, of, um, of the meaning of rapture is different from Bhikkhu Bodhi's, but, but that is my, that's one of my that's, questions. Okay, <clears throat> that is a great question. By the way, he's referring to a section that we you know, haven't explicitly covered and are planning to in the Sorry. last class, but it's a great question because um, the rapture and the tranquility come through in the 16 steps that we're doing. So I think we could go ahead and address, I'll, I'll say a few words and then maybe David would like to add something from his experience or understanding. Um, so that word rapture, also sometimes called joy, um, is um, 
a wonderful internal quality that comes when um, spiritual energy gets awakened and when the mind is kind of let go of its busyness, then we might start to feel this joy. It's actually the same quality that's pointed to in the fifth uh, step of the 16. It says that the person will breathe in and out experiencing rapture. So that's what's actually referred to there. Or Yeah. And so the question, though, about it being more energized and the tranquility obviously being more tranquilized is a great one. Um, You're in the section on the seven factors of enlightenment, which are divided actually into the higher energy ones and the more tranquilizing ones, and that's the transition between them. So the way I understand it, I'll just give my experience, is that... um, what the way we can tell that what we're experiencing is spiritual joy is that it leads to tranquility it's the aspect of joy that begins to calm the body and the mind and the kind of joy that that people might understand when they hear the word joy of being kind of excited and you know almost you know going up and up and up for more of that that's actually not therefore spiritual joy And um, it really does, I can just say this experientially, it's that it does um, have this quality that when the mind becomes uplifted, which is maybe a better way to say it, what's happening mentally is we become uplifted because of the practice, not because of any sensual thing coming in. Um, The mind loves that. And so it becomes even more present, which has a feeling of being um, tranquil. You don't want to send any other energy out to something else. So I'll stop there and see if David wants to add anything else. And let's see if David has a comment on that same part. Yeah, um, I would just briefly add to that. I I think that was really well well put. Just that in each of these paragraphs, like uh, 2034, I think there's like a series of, uh, it's like a cascading series of conditions too. And I can use a word like conditions, and you'll get a sense of what I, I mean, I think. But I think the idea is very much that um, when, when there's an experience of a, a joy or a pleasure in practice that comes from seclusion, that comes from meditation, that isn't dependent on getting what we want or getting the next thing, or that there is a way in which that is the nece- a necessary, maybe not the necessary, but a necessary um, foundation for greater tranquility and not just 34 but each of these paragraphs that deals with the seven factors of enlightenment which we'll get to in the last class work like that they each kind of say with this foundation created this will be the sort of inevitable um, uh, next sort of experience arising yeah you know I, I see that that progression is supposed to work that way but maybe because i don't understand how they mean some of the terms um yeah, so you're looking for a kind of rapture that doesn't have as its basis um, giddiness and excitement. Oh, okay. That's how you can filter in your mind uh-huh. toward the part that's really the factor of awakening. So, so if I want to um, uh, substitute the word bliss for rapture, and if that could, seems like yeah. a more serene kind of yeah. happiness to me, uh, that's okay. Yeah, and I think two real quick things on that. We'll talk today, in fact, we'll practice a little bit with exploring what it's like to cultivate the pleasure that comes with meditation. And it is, that's one point. And the second one is, it's very useful when you find a word that doesn't work for you and a word that does, that you you build a language or practice that serves you and supports your practice. And unlike you, rapture has certain meanings, bliss has other meanings. I don't know that either really work. Um, 
you know, quite right for me. So building your own vocabulary of practice is something that is a part of... But but the idea is, you know, uh, a letting go of the more high-energy, yippee, yuha kinds of happiness and moving towards more serene, tranquil kinds. Mm-hmm. It just unfolds obvious. that way, yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. I think we would have time for well, for for another one. You said you had several, Bill, so I'm not wanting to cut you I off. Do have a, I have a well, but let's else. ask if any. Is there, are there any other questions from anybody? Okay, no. Barbara. Barbara. The first time I read this, and I noticed this word that stood out for me is contem- contemplating. Yes, that comes in the last four, doesn't it? Yes, and to me, contemplating meaning to kind of ponder on, um, she's talking about relinquishing, pondering on, I would say, the transitory nature of life. So is that what it means? So it's not just so-called being aware of your breath, but at the same time, when you go deeper into it, you start thinking, maybe pondering on the impermanence of life. This is also a good question. When we talk about the fourth tetrad today, I was going to say something about exactly that. Um, Maybe maybe we should wait until then. Um, But I I guess I want to tie it in with this comment about the vocabulary we develop. The translation I'm looking at here, different from Bhikkhu Bodhi's, uses the word observing. And it may be that you can find a word that works for you that sort of captures this very light... um, but bringing in now uh, sort of a, um, an observing of impermanence, of letting go of um, sort of uh, letting go of entanglement with experience of certain kinds. So observing may, may be a, you know, a word that makes more sense. Because, yeah, pondering sounds like maybe there's too much effort in there or more effort that we tend to think of as in, in practice. Likewise, contemplation can seem... Effortful. And the next thought is um, not related to this. Last week at the end, um, Ying said, uh, think a little bit about a thread. So I just wanted to know if she spoke with you about it. Can you elaborate on what she was referring to? Is she talking about the lineage or is she talking about Nashua? Even even though we spoke the four of us the other day by Zoom, which was our practice, uh, the the thread did not come up. I can't I can't speak for her. She was saying that sutra is sometimes uh, oh. translated as breath. Got it. Okay. Okay. That's the, yeah. This that's is the root meaning of the word sutta. Right. Actually, why there's debate about why that would be, and it may just be one of those words that has an etymology but has no meaning. But one of the ideas is that these were when they were written down, they were pages bound together by threads. Others are that it's figurative that yeah, they are, figurative. that they are um, parts of a weave, parts of a weave, of or embroidered, the, yeah. the cloth of the Dharma, you know. Um, so I don't know if they had that same image at that time. Right. I don't know. Um, you can see an echo in one of those interesting words that actually connects all the way through to English. The word suture, suture, which we use, you know, after you have surgery. 
It's sutta. It's the same root thread. Yeah. It's because Sanskrit is distantly related to Latin. <laughs> yeah, they're both classical languages. Yeah. Yeah, from that same era. They don't call them Indo-European languages. That you know, at some level, they way back there. They're part of the same family. Every now and then, you get a little cognate like that. It's really interesting. Another one frequently commented on is dana and donation. Mm. Those are apparently related. And virya and virile, but we don't focus on that one quite as much (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I think at this point, why don't we go on? The topic for today is um, to look at the third and fourth tetrads out of the 16 steps. So you might remember that they're divided into four sets of four. And um, what was talked about last week and practiced with was the first two. So that was the first eight steps. And so we'll finish off the steps today and then in the later sessions, we're going to go on to the end part of this, the sutta, which relates these 16 steps to other uh, teachings. So I wanted to talk a bit right now about the third tetrad. So that would be steps 9, 10, 11, and 12 in the uh, series. So just to step back for a moment and remember the overview of these 16 steps. These are not steps like we have to go through and consciously do each one. And um, But generally, these are instructions for going deeper and deeper into the mind and the body using the breath as a tool to do that. And the general progression is toward calming the body and the mind and letting go of distracting thoughts and uh, even deeper attachments at some point. So there's uh, each tetrad ends with something that's related to letting go. So the fourth one is, for example, calming the bodily formation. And the eighth step, the end of the second tetrad, is calming the mental activity. And then the twelfth step, liberating the mind. And the sixteenth step is relinquishing. So we always have this trend in each one toward letting go quite beautiful. Um, I also came across a very nice uh, quote from a different sutta that points out one of the functions of mindfulness of breathing. You know, why so much emphasis on the breath? And it's, it's a very succinct instruction. It says, mindfulness of breathing should be practiced to cut off discursive thinking. The Buddha gives this instruction in several different suttas. So apparently, um, he understood that this practice is very good for reducing the tendency of the mind to be talking. So that's a partial answer to your question also, um, Barbara, is that the contemplation is not really thinking in the surface level way that we might think about something because that is actually, this, these practices are designed to uh, reduce that. I think cut off might be a little strong, but the that's at least one... Uh, result of this kind of practice. So I want to just talk through the four steps in this tetrad. The first says, um, actually, why don't we have somebody read? That would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? So um, those of you who have paragraph numbers, we are on paragraph 20. And if you don't have paragraph numbers, it's in the section on the instructions that starts with He trains thus, I shall breathe in experiencing the mind. 
I wonder if there's someone who would be willing to read that paragraph out loud. Brian? Okay. You've got it up, so go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, so we have here the four steps and this ongoing awareness of the in and out breathing as we're doing it. So um, this is the, the, tetra- the tetrad that is concerned with the mind, <laughs> as you can see. And so it relates, which we'll talk about next week, it relates to the third of the establishments of mindfulness. And so experiencing the mind, you know, what does that mean? We train breathing in and out to experience the mind. So one possible interpretation of this is that, you know, we've been looking, we've been experiencing the body in the beginning and then moving into things that are more of an affective nature, the joy, the happiness, and all the buzzing mental activity, which is often about our emotional connection with things that are happening things that we have opinions about or what we want or don't want. So in this third section, we, we have calmed those first two things down and we have the possibility of experiencing what it is that knows these other aspects of the mind. So, you know, what is it that knows the body? What is it that knows the feeling that's happening And so one interpretation of this step is that we expand our awareness to include the part of the mind that knows. Um, We may experience that as a separate knower, or it may just be a quality that we experience within the rest of what's happening in the mind. And then once we've included this through the in and out breathing, we... The next instruction says, I shall breathe in and out, gladdening the mind. Now that's an interesting one. Um, You know, what does it mean? Why is that different from joy and happiness, for example? This is now, we're into a fairly subtle understanding of the mind, to be including the knowing along with the experience. And so one way that I think of this step is that it's that very slight amount of pleasure that's associated with being present. I mean, at this point, we've really included a lot of experience um, in our awareness. There's not a lot that's outside of what we're willing to open ourselves to. And this is actually a very happy state for the mind. It's not the kind of more joyful happiness from earlier, but there's this subtle, I call it the pleasure of presence, of just being with experience. And there's, it's a very deep, um, settled feeling to the mind at this point. And so it's natural then that the next step says concentrating the mind. Now we may have associations with the word concentrating as something effortful or directed, um, but my understanding of going through the 
different instructions at this point is that it's not a very tight, rigid focus on the mind. It almost never is what's meant by this particular word anyway. But that it's more a steadying, that the mind, having included so much, it feels very steady. And also I associate this step with wholeness of the mind. So there's a feeling of completeness to experience, which is actually what concentration is. (laughs) It means having the same center, right? Having the same center with the same center, concentric. That's one way to see it. And so if we've really included the body, the feeling tone, the emotions, the, the mental activity, and we've calmed all that down and then opened to what knows, the mind is whole at this point. And so that is, I think, what's meant by concentration, by really being completely unified. And at that point, we get the very interesting instruction, I shall breathe in and out, liberating the mind. My goodness, how do we get to liberation? We still have four steps left. But um, there's a lot of uh, ways that the mind becomes liberated, but we could see it as a sense of lightness. You know, once the mind has become whole, unified, complete, glad, gosh, it's, you tune into this, so what would that feel like in the mind? And it definitely would not feel unfree, right? It wouldn't feel bound, it wouldn't feel tight, it wouldn't feel fettered. So this understanding of liberating the mind can be a sense that the mind is, is just f- light, floating. Um, resting in the flow is another phrase I want to point toward, which actually then, you know, would naturally move toward observing impermanence. But there's really no reason that the mind would want to grab onto anything when it's gotten to this state of openness and steadiness. And so there's just this feeling of resting in the flow. Whatever comes into body or mind is known, and it just comes and goes. So that is a kind of a brief talk-through of these four steps and how they might unfold from what we've done earlier. Of course, that doesn't mean that every time we go through these steps, we're going to experience incredible profoundness in the third tetrad that I've aimed us toward through this description. But it's enough that the mind can get a little flavor of that as it goes through. And so our our intention now is to to do a guided meditation where we will indeed include these four instructions along with an introduction as we get into it. So, And then we'll have a chance afterwards to ask questions and talk about our experience, okay? Yeah. Go ahead, David. So let's do a little practice with these. And um, I don't want to fill our entire roughly 15-minute sit with words. And yet... Um, there may be a little bit more wordiness in here than you know would typically accompany your your sitting. Um, and I'm just waiting to see if Morgan's going to come back. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. So let's um. Here's a bell to. just sort of bring us in. But yeah, why don't we begin by bringing, closing the eyes, taking a few moments to just sort of 
check in with our posture. <laughs> Morgan's ahead of us a bit. Um, bring our attention here. And I'm going to narrate or, or, or sort of roll out these first three tetrads with most of the emphasis on the third one in a, a way of guiding that I think I've found useful in practice. Um, the, the guiding voice can become your own, as I've said, and you can find your own language and words that work. But you'll notice that throughout these, I tend to toggle back and forth between instruction and description. And I'll just, we've mentioned that before, and I'll give you a sense of how these can be dropped into meditation. Let's begin with like three deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, about as fully as we can breathe in and out. This is a way of setting up the balance of sort of energetic alertness that we seek in our practice, balancing it with the ease, with letting go that comes with that deep out breath. And then we can let the breath fall into its, its sort of regular cadence, whatever cadence that, that comes now. And as we do this, which is a natural part of sitting down, our breath is moving one way, we sit down, we begin to meditate, we bring our attention here, establish mindfulness. And you'll notice that breathing in There's a long breath. Breathing out, there's a long breath. As we settle in, typically, breathing in, there's a short breath, a lighter breath. Breathing in and out. There's the whole breath. The breath in the beginning, the pause between in and out breath. The out breath. The somewhat longer pause between out breath and in breath. As we bring attention to the breath, we bring our minds here now, breathing in, calming the breath, breathing out the breath, calming. This happens with meditation, particularly in a group like this, people who are, have some experience in practice without our being aware of it frequently, but this is the first tetrad. This is what we do when we first sit down. Bring attention to the breath. Let the attention to the breath calm experience. As we sit, we can bring attention breathing in to the pleasure of sitting, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of practicing together. Maybe 
known as a buzziness or as a lightness. Breathing in, breathing out. With that light, pleasure or joy, bliss of just sitting, just being in our sitting refuge, regardless of how much activity is in the mind, there can be a lightness in the mind toward mental activity. Breathing in, we calm that mental activity. Breathing in and out with our attention, our mindful attention here. Mental activity is is calmed. And in the third set of instructions, we'll spend a little bit more time here, since this is our focus today. Breathing in, aware of mind. Breathing out, aware of knowing. Breathing in, an effortless knowing. Breathing out, knowing just arises. Breathing in, we can rest in this knowing. We don't have to make it happen any more than we have to make the breath happen. It's not ours. Nobody's better at it than anybody else. It comes along with being born human. Breathing in, knowing. Breathing out. It's letting knowing happen. Breathing in, gladdening the mind. Breathing out, the mind gladdening. Breathing in, lightening the mind. Breathing out, the mind lighter. Breathing in, steadying the mind. Breathing out, the mind steadying. Breathing in, collecting, gathering, unifying the mind. Breathing out, the mind collected unified. 
Breathing in, releasing the mind. Breathing out, the mind releasing. Breathing in, resting the mind. Breathing out, the mind resting. Breathing in, resting the mind in the flow, the flow of unfolding experience. Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, just knowing on just knowing flowing breathing out flowing knowing
So are there any um, questions or comments at this point on these four steps that we've been focusing on? The third tetrad? Please, if you could, someone could hand her the microphone. Yeah. So, I mean, this sounds kind of uh, basic. So, when you say the mind, you're talking about consciousness then. Are you thinking it's the same thing? We pointed toward the knowing function of the mind, which is uh, technically, of course, consciousness. Um, I think, the, for me at least, the mind is a little broader than that, but the way I approach the mind in this step is to include the knowing function because that's kind of the part that hasn't been brought in explicitly before. But, you know, in later traditions, they call this something like mind itself. You know, it's the substrate in which everything is taking place, <laughs> something like that. So that's what I was aiming to point toward. Let's see what David has to say. Yeah, there's, I think, a lot of um, later debate about what mind means. And I think in different traditions, different Buddhist traditions, you know, can have quite distinct and different meanings, Tibetan tradition, Zen tradition in particular. But yeah, in my practice and in, in, those, in, in that guided instruction slash description, yeah, I try to just bring attention to that knowing, that sort of effortless knowing quality that's there and that seems to be, um, it seems to be somehow akin to the breath and our experience of the breath in, the, in its effortlessness and in um, the way we can rest in it without attachment. So that's, that's, that's why it seems useful to uh, bring out that aspect of it. My second comment is that I find it interesting the, um, the we're studying meditation on the breath why in fact our attention is really with a focus on the feelings or focus on the mind so really you're not really meditating on the breath only that's correct um, it's a tool and you can even allow it to be in the periphery of awareness my experience, I'm sorry to leap in, mm-hmm. David. Um, my experience, let me just finish the thought, of this being breath meditation is that, first of all, another use of the word thread is that the breath is the thread that runs through all of it. I know that I'm staying present if I'm somehow holding on to that thread of the in and out breathing while I'm doing these other things. And also the sense that um, that the breath is always in the present moment. So it can't allow the mind to wander off into past or future because the breath is only happening now. To which I would just add that the breath uh, is a concept. And we never really know anything called the breath. And one of the things I think we find in this practice of, of, the, of this particular um, style of meditation, this meditation on in and out breathing, is that the closer we pay attention to it, what we become aware of are things like the physical sensations of it. In the first tetrad, the focus on noticing the whole breath, the in-cycle, the pause, the out. We feel the body move, we feel the sensations, and we, we come to eventually call that the breath, or the in-and-out breath, or breathing. Similarly, we can become aware in the third tetrad of the knowing that's going along, where there's a knowing of the breath. 
So yeah, the breath is a tool, but it's also, I think, I think as we get deeper into the breath, we start to notice in it some of the most profound teachings in the tradition, that there isn't anything there. There's no thing there. Right. There's some stuff happening there, and there's some knowing of those events happening. And, and that actually, we're, we have a few more minutes for additional questions, but that really uh, provides a foundation for the fourth tetrad, that sort of really getting intimate with the breath in a way where we're letting go of holding it, calling it the breath, knowing it as ours. Um, that's where we, this practice does help us let go of some of that attachment, even to something as critically important as central to our lives as what we call the breath. Yeah, we can know the I perception. Think, I think that's very profound because it really Sorry. talks about phenomenon existence, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, that was interesting because usually I, I do thoughts, but then you said, no, I thought I've never done that before. And it's interesting you said substrate because in my mind's eye, it, it was located like a, a, a pan. Low, low down, maybe. It's just my imagination of yeah. it. But and then uh, he said, "Glad." And I thought that's great because I really need to gladden my mind right now. And I thought, "Wow, maybe I can gladden my mind just the same way as turning a light on in a room." You know, not having to think about why it should be glad. I thought I might try that, and and it, and it raised up a little bit higher. Mm. And then at some point, I thought, you know, that feeling of heaviness is like, oh yeah, I remember now. You don't actually have those kinds of nerves in your brain. That's actually in your scalp. <laughs> You know, it's your autonomous nervous system, but that it makes you feel like your mind's heavy. And I thought if I could separate, it sort of helped me separate those, okay? There's that sort of light, and then the thing that makes my mind heavy is really a physical thing. It was just very interesting. Hmm. I'd, I'd like to continue doing it, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The breath will eventually, if we just keep with it, it points to all kinds of other stuff that's that's unfolding there. Thank you. And I, on that too, I, I would just say that as you as you practice with these phrases, as you drop them in, in whatever order or whenever they occur or appear, because sometimes they just come to you, um, you'll find the more you do this, as we were saying the other day, you'll just find, you'll be sitting there and you'll go, ah, the mind gladdening. So sometimes you just start there. Sometimes too, and I keep, maybe this is one of my little broken record or skipping CD thing or is um, that sometimes it's descriptive in other words sometimes we're saying yes breathing in gladdening the mind and sometimes we're just going breathing in the mind gladdening you know it's just this sense that oh that's what's going on and we're noticing it and we're resting in it um, instead of we're making it happen I think as we go through these from 1 to 16 there's more of that there's less effort less efforting and more allowing happening. And um, anyway, just want to keep highlighting that. Hmm. Other Anything questions, else? thoughts? Yeah. Brian. So like the lightness feeling, I've had that... Um, other than retreats, um, like a day long, I would have that feeling um, of just really calm and just like, wow, I really know it's like I'm feeling really different. How would you like describe that to someone who doesn't meditate? What is that? What is that light, lightness feeling result of? 
You described it so beautifully. <laughs> That's how I would describe it. <laughs> but I'm not sure what the question is. You say, what is the result of? Are you looking for the cause or the description? Maybe, um, like, trying to describe to someone who has to meditate before and mm. describe that lightness feeling to them and how, how you get from your mind just racing to that point where, you know, it's so calm. How would you describe that? Non-sticky. <laughs> Everyone knows what a sticky mind feels like, right? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I've often used non-stickiness for this. One of David's I, looking I, at me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, non-stickiness works. I think, um, too, it's useful, again, to just draw attention to language and uh, the fact that it's really hard to communicate these things. Yeah. The, the interiority of the experience, even as we get to know it really intimately and we come to understand it in really fine detail, we don't have a, we really don't have a well-developed vocabulary. This is true of our culture, maybe particularly true of men in our culture. Um, but sometimes you can think of yourself, as I find, as being a translator. So you could say lightness, but you might say clarity, right? Something that somebody else might grok very quickly. Uh, whereas lightness or some of the other things we use. So you can think about that too. Like how would I translate this if I were trying to talk to somebody who doesn't speak this language? You know, we, we do a lot of, we can say lightness. I think I have some sense of what you mean, but you might have to translate that for somebody who doesn't have, doesn't have that experientially, but they might know clarity. Clarity comes to mind because I think that's an aspect of that lightness frequency. Uh, would you agree? Is that part of your retreat experience when there's that lightness there's some clarity too um, I've experienced it in retreats but then specifically I'm talking about like just back to normal life um, specifically talking about just back to normal life daily uh-huh. life and I have the day lawns for beginning of the day I have a lot you know things going on but, but, but by the end of the retreat I feel just, just walking around I feel just have that, that lightness feeling that the teachers talk about yeah. yeah, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to describe that to someone who doesn't meditate and how, do you, how would you do that? Yeah. yeah, You don't need to be limited since lightness is kind of an abstract concept, essentially, um, although it does have a sort of a physical analog so we can understand it. It's interesting to play around with other senses, you know, like what color is that lightness, for example? That's a real question. Do you have a sense? Blue, okay, so yeah, it's got a, kind of a peaceful color, for me at least. Um, or to think about a substance like water or cloud or something else like that, to, to try to play with different um, sense media uh, to capture a little bit more of the flavor of it. There's another one, flavor, what does it taste like? Um, and I say this not, you know, not because I'm being like an, a creative type at this moment, but this is what the Buddha does. You know, if you read through the suttas, one of the things that's the richest for me is the imagery. I'm kind of an image kind of person, and so when I read like the descriptions of the four absorption states, which are very beautiful descriptions, most of them involving water, um, they speak to me at some level that's not really the concept level. And so I don't have to describe it so well because a picture's been painted, you know, a thousand words, right? And that, that I think the heart operates more in that realm. Yeah. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. There's Bill. Go ahead, Bill. Um, on the next page, in the part before we, that we haven't gotten to yet, it says... 
putting away covetousness and grief for the world. Mm -hmm. So when we're meditating, we're not out there in the bare-knuckle business world or fighting a war in the courtroom or uh, any of that relentless struggle, um, that competition, trying to get ahead of someone else or, or any of that, except maybe in our minds. But then if we can focus on the breath, not even that way. And it's, uh, I, I don't think it needs to be described. It just sounds like great <laughs> to let go of all that. Mm. Uh, that's, that's part of what I think is uh, where our the pleasure of meditation derives from. Yeah, freedom from having to come up with something about it. That's another kind of freedom. Just let it be. Question for for, uh, for the moment. It was yeah. actually, but we're, we're fine. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, like responding to Brian, like how to describe it. They might think this is too woo woo, but um, that I because I I that lightness of, is kind of for me is like is connecting to the the heart's. Um, desire to awaken is like in that those moments it's kind of I don't know sometimes it feels like a relief or it's just like of getting to be able to connect to that to the heart just this underlying desire to have to I don't know to awaken and um, and sometimes it's just the oh I'm connecting to that mm-hmm. and uh, it feels so good it's just such a I don't know. I don't know. But I play with that too, how to explain (laughs) what it's like for people who don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, was there one more? Were you going to? No. Oh. Yeah, so I think I can maybe make a segue there to discussing the fourth tetrad, which is our next little, I'll say just a few words, and then we'll sit again with it and see if, you know, dropping in the instructions, descriptions is kind of... Uh, useful. But uh, another thing, this is kind of takes us off apparently into another aspect of practice, which is it's useful when somebody, when I'm trying to express something about meditation to somebody who doesn't meditate, I wonder why I'm doing it. Like, am I, you know, what's the, am I just communicating an experience? Am I trying to sell them? Uh, Am I in a defensive mode somehow? Because I've been doing something unproductive for a weekend, (laughs) you know, uh, or an afternoon. Um, So anyway, that can be kind of a useful um, aspect, too, that might help figure out how to express it, Um, you know, because sometimes maybe you just want to say it's lightness and it's not important that they understand what you mean. Uh, And other times, maybe they're really curious and and, uh, then you could say more about Morgan's point, sort of some of the freeing aspect of it. So anyway, just dropping in that piece about intention and when we speak, why speech. Um, I wonder if somebody could read this this next tetrad uh, for us. Does somebody have it handy? And why don't we, because I asked Brian to do it. You did, you read number three, but you didn't have the mic and... uh, so it'd be great if you could read number four with the mic. <laughs> he trains thus, I shall breathe in contemplating impertinence. 
He trains thus, I shall breathe out, contemplating impermanence. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, contemplating fading away. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, contemplating fading away. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, contemplating cessation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, contemplating cessation. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, contemplating relinquishment. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, contemplating relinquishment. Great. Yeah, just nice to have the the language in the room. Um, So, as I mentioned, and you know, Barbara already sort of took us here in the opening, um, some of the opening questions. The difference between there's a there's a couple differences I think between this tetrad and all three that have preceded it, and one of them um, is this this introduction of a new this word contemplation and instead of just training by breathing out experiencing mind gladdening mind um, releasing mind we're uh, now training uh, training contemplating something and I suggested in another translation I have here the word uses observe along with the idea I mentioned earlier that we're getting lighter and lighter I actually like the idea of um, breathing in being attentive to impermanence is the first the first thing we're attentive to or opening to impermanence you can sort of think of the third tetrad and its descriptions or instructions as preparing us for this one and in that gladdening the mind steadying the mind releasing the mind freeing the mind resting the mind there's a lot of preparing for me not as I agree with you not pondering or contemplating but being attentive to, opening to, um, broadening awareness to include these four um, new things. Impermanence, or equally valid translation of the word anicca, unreliability of experience. Um, The fading away, typically meaning the fading away of sort of passionate engagement with experience. That is, fighting it pushing it away, drawing it in close, dancing with it, fighting with it, struggling with it, but just letting it come and go, letting it arise and pass. There's a progression here that if we're sort of attentive to things coming and going, things being sort of unreliable um, in terms of providing ultimate happiness, sort of letting that sense of engagement and fighting with it past that there we can become aware of times when we're not fighting with experience this is the third thing contemplating being attentive opening to um opening to neurota cessation um just being aware that sometimes we're not fighting with experience and knowing what that experience is like it's easy to forget that this path isn't about fundamentally isn't about suffering it's fundamentally about freedom and this this is a place here in this sutta where our attention is really drawn to cultivating um resting the mind in a way so that it can be open to freedom happening when it happens when we are letting go when we aren't caught up when we have sort of stop struggling and fighting as much with what's coming up in experience and then finally we the final instruction is to breathe in and breathe out knowing that with that that sort of being free that there's a letting go this isn't analytic in other words we're not saying oh i feel some some lightness some ease some clarity 
oh, I must have let go of something specific. What was it? It's not that kind of analytic approach. It's just being aware of, oh, this is what it's like when the mind is freer, when experience isn't entangling, when there has been some letting go that's occurred. And just knowing that, um, that release. So I think, is that enough? Is that sufficient? Why don't we practice with that? Um, I guess the final thing I'd say, and this I think will be borne out in the guided, uh, is that even though there's this extra word, there's a distinct sense here to me, and I think there's agreement here, that there's less efforting here. There's more allowing of experience here. There's less doing and more um, being, as it were. (laughs) So just... And again, the third one is Tetrad has sort of prepared us for that. But just watch that in your experience. These are very light instructions. They're more um, just things, bell sounding, water dropping into a pool and creating a concentric circle. Just very much just kind of allowing experience to um, unfold however it does. All right. So let's prepare ourselves to meditate again finding a posture that's um, comfortable and upright, closing the eyes if you're comfortable doing so, so that the attention comes back inward. And maybe just taking one deep breath and then releasing it in order to let go of anything that may have been stirred up from the words, from listening and just allowing yourself to connect again to the flow of experience. Sensing in particular the in and out breathing, beginning with the sensations of that in the body. You can notice if at this moment your breath is tending to be on the longer side or on the shorter side. just to bring that engagement with the the process of breathing. Perhaps on the out-breath in particular, allowing the body to settle a bit more. You're probably pretty settled now from having sat here for a while. There's always a way in which we could just release a bit more or soften some part of the body. And just allowing the flow of the in and out breath to go along with that process. We may notice that a a mind that's a little bit settled and a body that's relatively at ease at this moment. We feel some joy in the mind. A subtle pleasure of presence.
maybe in the body there's some warmth or continued softening that we might even call happiness in the body. The mind and the body together have this pleasant experience. We can open now to include the mental activities that are present for us. Maybe not even so much noticing what we're thinking or any details, but almost more as energies. The mental energy that happens to be present at this moment and allowing it to soften through the experience of the in and out breathing. As if the mind were spreading itself out, calming down like a lake. opening awareness even a bit more to bring in the the part of the mind that knows opening to include the whole scene the sky, the lake, the shore Tuning in to any deep or subtle gladness. Completeness. Wholeness to experience. Even if there's still various movements, the overall sense is that of a steadiness because it's all included. A lightness because it's all clear. And finding a sense of rest. Breathing. 
Breathing in and out, resting the mind. from this place of steadiness of inner rest we can open to the changing nature of experience breath itself is a changing flow. We just attend to that, to that change. It may be like a long, slow rhythm It may be short flickerings. It's like a play of changing sensations that we can just rest within. Let it come, let it go. have the sense it's just running by itself there's no need to do there's nothing to fight with to agree or disagree with just being in fact it's more peaceful not to hold on to any of it Each moment letting go. Nothing to hold on to. Breathing in and out. Letting go.
any activity comes into the mind. Nothing needs to be done. It's like a a fish breaking the surface of the lake briefly, creating some concentric circles of waves. We just let them ripple out. There isn't even any interest in picking up anything that comes into the mind. Just breathing in and out. Letting it all be.
So why don't we check back in and see if there are any questions or reflections on that, that last group of four instructions. How did that sit in people's practice? I see the progression, um, studying the fourth, is moving from the body to the emotions and then to the mental, and now it's more to the condition of existence. Perfect. And I, I, I think that's great. You know, one question I have is that, going back to rapture, did Buddha ever, I can understand why one can feel more calm and peace once when the mind becoming still. But where does rapture come from, or you can call it joy? How is that related to the mind or the body? There must be some relationship. If we still the mind, the joy comes through. Where does that come from? Do you ever talk about that? I don't know. You know, the 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 texts don't sort of take on sort of topics like that in it with an analytic way that would satisfy all of us who have those questions that's I think a question that, we, that comes up in practice one one uh, interpretation which may you may find useful uh, in thinking about that is that part of the way the meditation practice in this tradition seems to work is that it provides uh, a heady dose of pleasure both both physical and in the mind that in a way serve as a counterbalance to chasing much less satisfactory pleasures that are dependent on changing conditions. The, the things that we cultivate in the meditation practice are always available, even in illness, even when the body is in pain, uh, even when there's mental anguish. And so that seems to be why there's such, or one reason why there's such an important foundation for um, particularly for sitting comfortably with uh, things that might otherwise be quite unsettling, right? You mentioned emptiness earlier, but in this case, you know, the knowledge of um, unreliability of experience or impermanence of everything. Um, those things are harder to handle if we don't have some, some basis in a pleasure that comes in the meditation. So t- to my mind, that's quite a convincing reason that there's as much st- stress on joy or bliss or what you might think of as sort of, t- to my mind, there's a bodily um, aspect which might be more about um, pleasure, but a pleasure that's not, um, you know, not a candy bar, not a new car, um, not a different job, and a contentment in mind. I really like the word contentment for my practice as opposed to happiness, which I think we have kind of a cultural um, shelf we put or pedestal we put happiness on. Uh, contentment is something, I think, in reach and that the practice really, really helps um, build and reinforce. So anyway, I hope maybe that's helpful. Any other questions? Uh, that looks like a question. Well, yeah, let's do, I'm just, I'm just, 
just on the topic of rapture, I've, I've, I think, experienced it twice. And it is actually very peaceful. It's um, waves, the way uh, love makes you feel peaceful, right? And you can feel content. sort of like, oh, that's what I was looking for. I can relax now. Or I could start, it doesn't last forever, right? But, I mean, I just think that from the description, that, for, that, that is a peaceful state in how I experienced it. I have experienced um, rapture. I, I won't use that word. I, I would say I feel a lot of joy that's coming down. I always wonder where does that come from? How does it relate it to what I'm doing? Is it a nature of one's being? I mean, is it part of the mind? I mean, that's my question. Yeah, yeah. Such great, such great questions. I, I can offer one thing, which is that um, it unfolds in my experience, that joy becomes available as the mind is less um, going outward. You know, it's scattering a lot. Of, our minds are often in the state of scattering their energy in a lot of different, scattering the energy in a lot of different directions. We're thinking about this, we're worried about that, we're making the coffee, we, you know, it's like, it's all kind of many different things. And as the mind begins to gather, what we experience is the... Um, uh, channeling of energy, first of all, uh, that comes just through sitting down, being still, you know, at least attempting to bring the mind to some kind of object. And so um, from that we experience a gathering of the energy. And in my experience, that brings a lot of joy. The mind is so happy not to be pulled in a lot of different directions. It's so happy to just have a simple thing to do, but it has so much momentum that we're usually not able to achieve that. So for me, this is how I understand that joy comes out of energy in the awakening factors, is that when we experience that uh, gathering in, even to a small degree, it's also why joy is prominent in concentration. The mind has been gathered up and it's not dissipating itself. It's like when you find, you know, the, you finally give the baby, you know, the, something like the lollipop. It's so happy, <laughs> you know, it's like got one thing. This is way better than a lollipop. But it's, it's something like that. We're doing what the mind wants to do anyway. Um, and it's so happy to, to be peaceful. Yeah. I don't know if that helps explain the origin. Yeah, okay. That's my experience. And I would just add to that that to me a really powerful implication of that and and really a centerpiece of practice is that there's no moment in which, there's no moment of experience in which that's not available. You know, um, depending on where we're seeing, where our our mind is, um, that is available. Um, And yet it it really reveals itself when we're fully here now and not at other times when the mind's scattered, when the mind's thinking of the past, of other people, of the future, of ourselves. Um, so I like that, that any, any, any moment of experience has that in it, potentially. <laughs> so where are we? Where are um, we? Um, well, it says K. I think that's for Kim here. But we're... Okay. we're, we're we want to we want to provide up. an assignment yeah. for next week. Yeah, so we're winding up today. Let me just say a little bit about the transition toward next week. So we've um, now gone through these sixteen steps, um, and you have 
potential, I don't know if last week was recorded, but this week was, so you would have guided meditations on them if you wanted to use that. So the, the general instruction for practice is to play with these, you know, enjoy them. You can try to do all 16 in one sitting if you want. You can work on one tetrad. See what draws your heart. And then in terms of reading, um, next week's topic will be this next section on fulfilling the four foundations of mindfulness or establishings of mindfulness. So that's the section to focus on in your reading. But if you want, you're welcome to read the whole thing into the seven enlightenment factors since Bill already asked a question about that, um, which is great. And so but we'll do the four foundations next time. And those... You may recognize that phrase, the four foundations of mindfulness or establishings. That's actually, of course, the name of a completely other sutta, right? The, the Satipatthana Sutta, um, so, which is MN10 in the same collection. This is MN118, so Majjhima Nikaya 10. Optional, you could read MN MN10 also, if you would like. And that one is online of a number of, number of different translations. So if you look up the four foundations of mindfulness or the Satipatthana Sutta. But at least for this class, we'll be working on the section of 118 that relates these tetrads to the four foundations. Are there any questions on that? I would just add to that, you know, you, you said the Satipatthana Sutta is, you know, the, a cornerstone sutta in this lineage and this tradition constantly referred to. And it's been mentioned earlier today, you know, you sort of talked about the progression in each of these tetrads through from, from, from breath to body or from body to sensations, physical sensations, to mind, to freeing mind. And that's very much, or you said, I think, uh, for the last one, you said something like patterns of experience or modes of, exist- of experience. And that is exactly the um, structure and, pr- and procedure of the Satipatthana Sutta. Yeah, you exactly identified the four yeah. foundations. I don't know if you're realizing what you said. Body, feelings, mind, and conditions. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And so those turn up here, and it's very interesting to see the echoes, since that's so important in the tradition in this sutta. And this, this bringing these together in this section may have come later after these, the instructions here are the core, these 16 steps. And yet somebody earlier also saw that, saw that bringing, you know, bringing together these practices. So anyway, a lot of those practices are familiar to us, and uh, you can see them here. Along the same line, I noticed that in the four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing is part of it's mindfulness the of the body, which is yep. the first of the four foundations. But in um, this, the uh, Anapanasati Sutta, uh, we see the four foundations of mindfulness folded in as part of Anapanasati. So it gets kind of loopy in a, in a, in a neat yeah. way. This is the way the Dharma works. It's loopy yeah. or um, convoluted or holographic. Holographic is the word yeah, that one of our good. colleagues has used. That it that uh, any little piece of it tends to reflect all the pieces of it, and that's one of the kind of amazing things about it. Since it was not designed systematically or in any you know kind of way, it does it does in fact work. Um, it does in fact work. Let me leave it there. Thanks again for coming and participating it's great really to have a a small uh, intimate group for this kind of work so that's a lot of fun thanks for the questions thank you so much